This morning, if you open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at the beginning and the end this morning, beginning in verse 1 through verse 8 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the servant said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. If you turn with me now to Revelation chapter 6, verse 14. Verse, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 6 of Revelation. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled up together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Father God, we just come to You this morning asking You, Lord, for insight from Your Word, from direction, God, from Your truth, and Lord, that it would pierce our hearts, that it would bring change to our lives. We just give You praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about hiding from the presence of God. Now, most of us probably at some point in our life have probably played hide-and-seek. Some of us probably weren't very good at it when we were little kids. I, I, I remember watching my daughter specifically stand in the corner playing hide-and-seek doing this. You know, thinking that if I don't see you, I'm hidden from you. Uh, I remember being a kid and I could, I could hide pretty well. A lot of times, the best times that I hid were usually at times when nobody was looking for me. That was when I hid really good. Like, for example, uh, like if you're in uh, Target, God bless you. If you're in Target and uh, mom's looking at clothes, all of a sudden those round racks become the greatest hiding place that ever was established on the face of the earth. And you sit inside the rack going, (laughs) as mom's going, Bobby, 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 Bobby. And I'm going, (laughs) It's a funny game until you're found, amen? It's, it's one of those games where you know that you're really good and you think you're the greatest person at hiding that ever lived on the face of the earth until you're found and you realize it wasn't as fun for mom as it was for you. And uh, my daughter's pulled the same trick and so has Kevin and, and they were all beat for it. So, <laughs> what, what goes around comes around. Adam and Eve hid from the presence of God. They hid. Now, we all know why. Eve, Eve looked and said that fruit was good, and, and, and Satan tempted her and said, you know what, you'll become like God. You'll become your own God. 
You'll have wisdom and, and you'll be able to judge and do and, and do whatever you want to do based upon your own will and, and you won't have to listen to him anymore and, and you can then be like him. You know, isn't it like us, church, to try to find our own way to be like God? It's, it's too hard for us to submit you know, and obey. We want to be God-like. We want to be like him and give orders. It's kind of like the person that says, hey, I want to, the person that gets a little bit of authority and then all of a sudden you just can't stand them because they're always telling everybody what to do, you know? That's kind of how we are with our lives. But as we read that in, in Genesis, if we look back to Revelation, we see that this mentality not only started with Adam and Eve, but it's going to carry out to the very end. People are not willing to submit and surrender to God. They say, look, I'm going to hide myself in, the, in these rocks instead of hiding themselves in the cleft of the rock, instead of hiding themselves in the rock Jesus Christ, they go to the caves and the valleys and say, look, fall on us and hide us from the face of God. It's a disease, church. It's a disease and a mentality that was started in the Garden of Eden when Eve looked on the fruit and Adam knew what it meant to take and eat of it and their eyes were open. Instead of humbling themselves before God, they hid from Him. The manifest presence of God stood before them, before them and challenged them and said, Did you eat of the tree? Already knowing what happened. He didn't have to question asking what was happening. He already knew what was happening. Amen? He's everywhere all at the same time. He already knew what was happening. He, already, he just wanted to confront them and to question them about it. They knew the, the gig was up. They knew that what they had done was sin against God. And they knew that finally God was going to come up before them and have to look them in the eye so they hid themselves. Mankind at the end of all time that carries in the same, the same attitude is as they were unrepentant. They didn't want to have to answer for their issues. They didn't want to have to look God in the face because they knew that they were sinful in heart. They knew that their attitude was that of not having submission to God's authority or leadership in their lives. So instead, they, they thought it to be better to go into the caves and under the rocks and say, fall on us and hide us from the face of God. Because even then, in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their rebellion, they refused to come under the authority and submission of God and say, look, I am a wretched sinner in need of forgiveness. Church, that's where we're at. This is a picture of our fourth fundamental truth, which talks about the fall of man. Adam and Eve exchanged the experiential manifest presence of God and the love of God for their will rather than His. And therefore became the only part of creation that really has rejected the call that God has placed on their lives to have fellowship with Him. God never ever intended, never wanted for mankind to be out of fellowship with Him. He wanted to fellowship with them. He wanted to know them. He wanted them to know Him, but because of sin, because of their choices, because of what they chose to be godless rather than to follow and obey God, by their will and their desire, they rejected Him. And God could not dwell in their presence any longer because of sin. Church, the heart of God is broken when His people become so selfish and so self-consumed that they reject His voice that they reject His manifest presence before them, that they are so prideful, and, so, and don't get me wrong, I've been in this place before, that you're so prideful that you know what God's saying to you, and you reject it. It wounds God. It hurts Him, because He sent His Son, Jesus, that He might die, that He might live, that He might forgive us of our sins against God, that we might be brought into right relationship with Him. He paid a huge price for us. He paid the ultimate price for us. And yet we look at Him and spit in His face and say, I would rather have rocks fall on me than to fall upon the rock of Jesus Christ. 
I really wanted to preach something warm and fuzzy this morning in light of the vote. <laughs> I wanted to come in here and just stroke your ego and tell you how wonderful you are and you know, God loves you and just be all happy about everything, but um, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me do that. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, God showed me and shows us but this situation, hiding from God, it, it plagued Israel, but it can also plague us in our walk with Him today. It plagues the churches today. I say church, not just our church, but the church body in general across America. As we look here in the passage, beginning in, in uh, Exodus 20, verse 18, Moses is just now dealing with these people. They're at the base of Mount Sinai. God has begun to speak to them the Ten Commandments out of His glory on the top of the mountain with His voice. His people, His chosen people that He called out of bondage, that He, he, he saved out of the bondage of, of Egypt, brought into the desert, was providing for. They sit at the base of the mountain now with God on top of it speaking to them. Verse 18, And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that His fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near under the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Isn't it like us, church, to, to push away God speaking directly to our hearts? <laughs> and say, God, speak to pastor. Speak to a man, Lord. Israel stood afar off from the presence of God. They were afraid and fearful of the presence of God. And somebody said, well, Pastor Bob, they were just afraid. Wouldn't you be afraid if they were on a mountain and, and if the presence of God appeared on a mountain and there was smoke and thunderings and, and billows and all this stuff and that we couldn't touch the mountain and if we did, we would die? Wouldn't you be afraid and stand afar off? Listen, church, they were not ignorant of the presence of God. If you look back in Exodus chapter 13, verse 18, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you, but God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. They've seen the presence of God. They knew what it was. They, it, there's nowhere in Scripture where it says they were afraid of the pillar of the cloud. I would be a little afraid, to be honest with you. I might be, personally, just kind of just look at it for a minute and go, does anybody else see the giant pillar of cloud and fire? Or is this just me? You all see it? Okay, let's follow that. They weren't afraid of it. They had had that. But I tell you what they hadn't had happen to them. They never had it speak to them before. They had seen it go before them. They'd seen it separate the waters. They had seen all of a sudden water in the desert and food and manna and all this stuff and our needs be met. And then all of a sudden it speaks to me? Whoa, wait a second. I'm going to stand over here. That thing's got a voice. And it's speaking to me? No, God, don't talk to me lest we die. 
Speak to Moses. Moses is a good guy. He'll talk to you. I'm going to stay over here. Hey, but God, in the meantime, keep giving me water. Keep giving me manna. Keep protecting me from the enemies. God, keep taking me to the promised land and fulfill all your promises that you have for me. But don't don't speak to me, Lord, because I'm afraid something might have to change in my life. I'm afraid something might have to be different about me, and I'm not real comfortable with that. See, I told you, I wanted to preach something real warm and fuzzy. Their response was to hide themselves behind a man, asking that God would be something to them that he never intended to be with any man. And that is impersonal and unknowable. They chose to make their God impersonal and unknowable. They looked at him and said, speak to him and know him and let him tell us who you are, but don't tell me who you are. They chose a stuttering man over the voice of God. They chose to allow God to set it up to where now only one priest every year could enter into the Holy of Holies where His presence was. They lowered themselves to to a place to where now God was somewhere far off that they could never know or touch or see or hear. Church, do you realize how sad that is? How sad that is to God for us to set ourselves up to a place to where He's unknowable? You want to know why we do that? Because if God's not personal to us, if He doesn't speak to us, and we don't gaze upon Him and we don't hear Him, then He's somewhere else and it doesn't really matter what we do. If we can keep God at a far off and stand afar off away from where God is, then all of a sudden there's no accountability for our lives. And we can set up our own ideas of what God should be. We can set up our own morals and our own standards and not have to live by the standards of some God because who can see Him? Who can know Him? Mankind has fallen because we have decided to make God unknowable and impersonal. Aren't we like our ancestors? (laughs) Isn't it easy to come into a church? I mean, we're Pentecostal. All I know is Pentecostalism. That's it. That's all I want to know. I mean, I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed to be Pentecostal. I've been insulted and made fun of it because I am. I really don't care what people think. They tell me what the Scripture says, and they ignore the book of Acts. They ignore Paul's writings. Okay, so I'm stupid and you're not. Congratulations. I think I'll obey God. You know, that's all I know, but there's a mentality in America today that says, you know what? Because some things have been done that's been out of order, that's been labeled as Holy Spirit, now we just got to stop all moves of God in our church. we we got to stop it because somebody might be offended. You know what? I don't care if people are offended. The presence of God brings change in people's lives. Amen? Yeah, people can misuse the gifts. Yes, people can say things wrong. Yes, people can misinterpret. Yes, people can, can uh, maybe speak out in tongues at a time of service when it's inappropriate. All that can be fixed by training and understanding. All that can be taught. But at the same time, you know, we've got to, we can't be a church to where we say, God, you can do what you want over there, but over here we're not going to have that. God, I, I, I don't want you to... You, you go speak to somebody else in that way because I am... You know, isn't it our attitude to come in here and say, who is that pastor to say, I have this issue? Who are, it's, it's so easy for us to come into the church and say, I'm Pentecostal, and come in and get really excited and want to sit back and watch people be filled with the Holy Spirit, healed and, and, and uh, whatever. To see God move in their lives, saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever. See God move in their lives and sit back and say, well, that was entertaining today. Stand afar off. 
When was the last time God spoke to your heart? When was the last time that God pierced your soul with something that was said? No, we hide ourselves. We hide ourselves in the busyness of life. We don't allow ourselves to pray read the Word. We hide behind the fig leaf of rationale that says, Oh, but God's this and God's that. God would never have me to raise my hand. God would never have me to pray out loud. God would never listen, church. We've got to move beyond our own morals, our own thinkings, and the things that we've been taught in this world and find out who Christ is. We've got to quit hiding in paradigms of man that says this is what church is supposed to look like. I have no interest in going to a church that's dead, spiritually, emotionally. I have no intention of whatsoever, even as a pastor, to ever be in a church that that is void of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God wants to know us. And there will come a time, church, for every individual where God is going to knock on the door of your heart by the Holy Spirit and try to speak to you. And you have a choice to do something. To respond or to reject. Pharaoh, his heart was hardened. God knew it was going to happen. His heart was hardened because he consistently rejected, consistently rejected, consistently rejected. And church, as long as the church in America, the church in Covington, Indiana, whatever it may be, the First Assembly, the Church of Christ, the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church, independent churches around, wherever it may be, whatever church it is, if we ignore and reject the presence of God, we're going to harden our hearts to Him. We're going to harden our hearts to Him. People want a form of church, (laughs) and why, I don't know, that's lifeless, without conviction, without confrontation, without anything in their lives that's going to draw them closer to God. They want the, 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 the attitude of, you're just wonderful and happy. You know what? Look, if we were all wonderful and happy, Jesus would have never had to die on the cross. If we were good enough to do it ourselves... We would have never had to humble ourselves to a Savior to begin with. But because we have, He not only is a Savior that lived 2,000 years ago, but by His Spirit and by His Word, quickened by the Spirit, He speaks to us today. We talk about the disciples sitting around you know, campfires and eating fish and hearing from, from, from the voice of God through Jesus Christ Himself. And oh, how wonderful that is. Church, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have His presence in our midst, whether it be in a service, whether it be in our prayer closet, whether it be when we're reading our Bible on our couch at home, whatever it may be, whether you're in the vehicle and you're worship, worshiping on the way to work, back and forth, if you're in the grocery store and you see somebody and you, you recognize them with the eyes of God and the ears of God to hear them and to cry out to them, Him for on their behalf right then. Wherever it is, the Spirit of God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. The presence of God is so vital for our Christian walk. Why do we hide? I I feel first and foremost it's because the presence of God is confrontational towards sin. God is going to confront us. It's just His nature. Yes, He's going to love us. Yes, He's going to be compassionate. He's not going to destroy us. (laughs) If He hated us, He would destroy us. If He hated us, He would have never sent His Son to die for us. But He is going to confront us. And He is going to deal with our sin. Well, why does God hate me? No, God does not hate you. He loves you enough to bring you to a place of righteousness through His Son's blood as you humble yourself before Him and to bring you to a place of sanctification to prepare you to be in His kingdom someday. He loves you enough that He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be with you, but He wants to purify your life. It's not a matter of, oh, that church just tells me I'm never good enough. That's what I went through. All they do is tell me what's wrong with me. 
Well, they were right. <laughs> Pastor Allen was right. I was responding to the conviction that I felt. Well, who are they to tell me what's wrong with me? It's all hopeless. You can't ever please God anyway. That's right. You can't please God. It is hopeless on your own. Apart from Christ and submitting to Him, you are hopeless. You can argue with me. You can tell me that this is what I think God is. This is what I... My God is a God of mercy and grace. Yes, He is. But He's also a God of judgment and He's just. He's he's willing and compassionate to forgive us. But if we create a God that doesn't line up with the the Word of God, then we've broken one of the commandments. we formed a God to our own image and what we think He should be rather than who He is. And we've sinned. I was blessed by God uh, a few months ago to... I guess it was a blessing. I, it scared me to death, but he, he showed me in my prayer time for about five seconds of what it was like to stand before a holy God. Five seconds. It was awful. And I love him. And I know he loves me. Church, his eyes and his vision, I don't know how to explain it other than there's, there's, there's substance to his sight. You and I, we see by light reflecting off of one another into our eyes and then our brain. His vision pierces from His eyes through our bodies. I was as glass standing before God. And I felt His vision go through me. I felt it begin to consume and go through me, evaluating my my thoughts, my motives, my words, things I have said, things I haven't said, things I, I was going to say. And can I tell you that was frightening? And, and I have the blood of Jesus. And I know He loves me. And it wasn't eyes of judgment. It wasn't eyes of, Bob, you'll never be good enough. It wasn't eyes of, Bob, you, you're condemned in my sight. It was eyes of love saying, I love you, but you got this in your life still. I love you, but you better be cautious of this. I love you, but you said this to this person. I love you. If you're a representative of me, a representative of me Bob, you're going to have to realize... That these things are inside of you, you need to fix it. Can I tell you that was a very frightening five seconds of my life? I think I understand why Adam and Eve hid. I think I understand why the children of Israel, when they heard the voice of God audibly, got afraid and stood afar off. I know now and understand why Jesus had to come in our own flesh, in, in the same flesh that we're in, so that we could just simply hear the voice of God and not be afraid. Why do we hide? We hide because when God speaks to man, something has to die. Just like no man can see the face of God and live, no man can hear the truth and receive the truth of God's Word and live for himself any longer. You just can't. It's going to eat you alive. I'm telling you, when you submit to Christ, if it's a a, a genuine submission to Him... All of a sudden, your life has opened up to His Holy Spirit to start picking away and nicking at the corners of your rough life and beginning to bring change. God never intended to leave you the way you were. God never intended to leave you and I in the place that we were in. 1 John chapter 1 says this in verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard from Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, 
We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from, from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, church. You cannot stand around and, and, and reject the changing voice of God into your life through the Word, through the preaching, through Him speaking to your heart, and say that you are right with Him. In Him there is no darkness. In Him, He wants to speak light into our lives. He wants to fill the void of darkness within us with His light, with His presence, and He wants to speak to our hearts. If we say we have no sin and that we don't need that, we've deceived ourselves. We have not submitted ourselves to Him. But listen to what it says in verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Church, we have got to respond properly to the Word of God. We have two choices. Two choices. We can hear Him speak to our lives. We can obey Him. And yes, when He speaks to us, something has to die. Something's got to die. We can either listen and obey and begin to crucify our flesh, like Paul talks about, or we can reject Him and confirm that our flesh and our soul will die eternally. Our flesh will die no matter what. We have a choice that really is an easy choice if we look at it and think about it in the right light. Our flesh, our wants, our desires will die one way or the other. The question is, are you going to submit to Christ and allow Him to kill your flesh off and bring life to your flesh? He desires to redeem our bodies someday. He will do that, but we've got to be purified in Him. In our text, Israel, they chose the middle ground. They didn't reject God. They said, we'll just stand afar off, stay close to you, keep meeting our needs, we'll follow you, but speak to Moses. It's too personal. The voice of God is too personal, too demanding, too... Uh, who are you? All of a sudden, we've got these rules we have to follow, and God's telling us about it. We can't handle this. They chose a middle ground. Rather than to end a relationship with Him, they chose, as I said, said before, a stuttering man over the Creator. The middle ground church was no middle ground at all. It was a form of religion. It was, a, it, was, it was some kind of thing to scratch their spiritual itch and yet to continue where they were going to receive the blessings they wanted, but yet to have an impersonal God. You say, what does all this mean for us today? What type of church do you want to be? What type of church do we want to be? I spoke a lot last night about in the Q&A about structure and about planning and preparing and, and uh, just administrative things that need to be done in the church. All that's important. But church, if you take the presence of God, you take the Spirit of God out of it, all of a sudden you just become a club, a very organized, well-run club. Amen. We have no desire of doing that. We desire to depend upon the Spirit of God to work, but we also desire to plan and prepare for whatever it is He wants to do. And obey His will and to follow it. Some people say, well, structure, we can't have structure and follow the Spirit of God. Really? Last time I checked, the Spirit of God, through Jesus Christ, He spoke into existence the universe. And it's structured. Everything goes in its order and has since the beginning of time. Last time I checked, He set up the seasons. Amen? And they're pretty much predictable and when they're going to happen and, and they all serve their purpose for nature to continue on. He set up the structure of the earth itself 
with the animals that eat the grass, the animals that control the other animals, and so on and so forth. He designed the human body. Last time I checked, it's both structure and organization and spirit. True or false? I believe God wants us to structure. I believe God wants us to plan and to prepare, but I think God also wants us to not to have our own agenda and to follow His and to plan and prepare in light of what He's speaking to our hearts. That's extra, by the way. Any service that's full of structure, full of rituals, and is void of the presence of God is a dead service. And you say, Pastor Bob, well, but, but the Word says, you know, that it's going to go forth and accomplish its purpose. It's not going to return to the Lord. It's not going to return void. Well, okay, well, what about Satan? Didn't he use the Word to try to tempt Jesus in the wilderness? Did it serve its purpose? Uh-oh, it got silent. Uh-oh, Pastor Bob's beating on the Word. Listen to me, hear me out. There's cults all over America and the world that have taken the Word and twisted it for their agenda. You tell me the Spirit of God's in that? A preacher could get up and take the Word of God and take all kinds of things out of context. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you and explain to you is, is the Word of God's got to be quickened by the Holy Spirit to make sense to the preacher and to the congregation. Apart from the presence of God, the Word of God can be a very dangerous thing for a person that wants to misuse it. It's a very dangerous thing for that person if they want to misuse it. But I say to you very clearly this morning, the Word of God's got to be used. It's got to be used in the right context. It's got to be used for the right purpose. And when it is, lives will be changed when people respond appropriately to the Spirit of God. So where's the change come from? It comes through the manifest presence of God in our lives. It's always referred to in the Bible as fire. We saw fire in the bush with Moses. We see fire before the children of Israel. We see fire on the day of Pentecost. Uh, it's, it's very clear. The Word of God quickens us through the fire, the light giver of, of the Holy Spirit. He's a purifier. We recognize our uncleanness, and He begins to direct our lives in holiness. The fire is a source of warmth. And all of a sudden, we have, when we have the Spirit of God within us, life in this cold, dark world, all of a sudden, we become a beacon of hope, a light to people that don't even understand what we have. All of a sudden, if we will, if we will submit and surrender ourselves to the presence of God, and all of a sudden, He begins to work in our lives, people will recognize something different in you. Whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whether you're at the grocery store. I have a friend that's got some serious bondages and addictions in his life. And, and he would call me there for a while at different things. He would call me and say, man, I just need you. I need you to come here, please. I'm a mess. And he would be a mess. And I would show up and he'd just tears roll down his face. And he'd say, I don't, I don't know why it is that when I'm with you, I feel better. I said, I know why. Because you want what I have. I'm a carrier of the presence of God. The life of peace and joy that I have, you want. And I said, you're gleaning it from me, sitting next to me. You see it, you want it, but you haven't gotten to a place long enough to crave that more than your addictions to want to give up this for that. We should be a carrier of the presence of God. And not just in our services, not just manifest presence in our services, but in our daily lives. What has God spoken to you? The fires on the altars in in the Old Testament never were to go out. In the holy place, they were never to go out. The candles that were burning were never to go out. Church, the presence of God was never intended to be over there. It was intended to be right here. God said, you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
You are the tabernacle in which I desire to dwell. All this other stuff was a symbol of what was to come. And now that Christ has died on the cross, I can rip this curtain as a symbol to this dead religion, leave it, move forward, and go dwell with men and write my laws on their hearts. Church, that's the best way. That's the best way. To try to do something separate from that is to lower ourselves to second best. And when it comes to salvation and eternity with Christ, second best is not good enough. Second best is not good enough. We have not completed the plan of salvation. We can have all the man-made programs. We can have all the man-made rituals and things that we want. But if Jesus Christ is not our King of kings and Lord of lords in this fleshly, earthly body, He will never be King of kings and Lord of lords someday in eternity. It has to happen here. It has to happen here. He has to see our willingness to love and submit and obey and listen to Him and to, rev- uh, to have reverence for His presence here if He's going to expect us to do it in eternity someday. The difference is in eternity someday it's going to be easier. It's going to be different. We won't have the restrictions of the flesh. We won't have the restrictions of this life. We'll be able to gaze upon the Lord and not die because we'll be made whole and pure and right in His sight and we'll stand there and worship Him face to face. But right now, we've got to submit our lives to Him. We've got to lower ourselves and we've got to quit living up here on what we think is all right and pure and holy in in our standards and our man-made standards and in our philosophies of God. We've got to drop that stuff and we've got to submit and come under His authority for who He is in the Word of God. And when we do that, church... If we do that and the Word of God is preached, whether it be me or somebody else, and we worship Him and we cultivate the presence of God in our public services, we cultivate the presence of God in our private services and at home as we seek the Word, if we cultivate the presence of God in homes with friends, if we pray over our meals with a genuine attitude of thanksgiving, if we do family devotions together saying, Lord, teach us, whatever we do on our daily lives, walking into our workplace, not arrogant, not judgmental, but with compassion, with the love and mercy of a loving God in our lives, it is unbelievable what can happen through your life and through mine. The walls of this church can't contain it. The walls of the church cannot contain the presence of God. It can't. He desires to go with you. He desires to go with me. And church, when you wake up in the morning, whether you vote me up or down, I don't care. Whether you wake up in the morning, respond to the presence of God. Because apart from it, there's nothing else. It is absolutely hopeless. Reading this word without the Spirit of God quickening it, quickening, 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 quickening it, quickening. (laughs) Worship team, no, I'm just kidding. Without the Spirit of God quickening it, we'll just just be confused. We'll be like Bible scholars that understand its origins, who wrote it, and uh, the different poetic verses versus this nonsense, baloney and miss what it's saying to our hearts. You stand with me this morning.